to see you all. Welcome to Unionville Alliance Church and those watching online as well. Glad that you can connect with us. I told you something a couple weeks ago that I was really excited about. Do you remember that? I'm still really excited about it. So next week, the wait is going to be completed. All right, next week you can pick up one of these and we'll have a small little booklet as well to go along with this. This is for 40 days of Lent. Okay, we're going to be looking at Jesus in various ways each day in the 40 days of Lent. Um, so you can pick one up and you can pick up a hard copy of the, of the booklet that we have for you. And if you're watching online, you can download this as well. Uh, and you can download a copy, a PDF copy of the booklet. Uh, unfortunately, if you download it, you're not going to get the scratch off parts. So you're going to see everything all at once. So if you're watching online and you still want one of these that you can scratch off, then you can stop by the church and pick one up as well. And we hope that through the season of Lent, we will be able to see Jesus in his beauty, in his fullness, in his glory, and as we lead up until um, Easter Sunday. So starting on March 3rd, which is Ash Wednesday, and it'll go all the way up until Easter. So looking forward to our church as a community journeying together to see Jesus in different ways. Uh, and I look forward to seeing some of your reflections and seeing how Jesus is working uh, in your life uh, as well. Uh, in the devotional book, Standing Strong Through the Storm, done by Open Doors, tells a story in, in China of a Christian woman who was in charge of the security at a coal mine. And the woman, the woman suddenly felt moved and filled by the Holy Spirit, urging her to pull the alarm lever that was there in case there was an emergency, uh, to pull that lever and that would evacuate everyone from the, the coal mine. There was no problem that was taking place, but she felt urged and filled by the Spirit to do that, so she did it. And so she pulled the alarm, uh, and even when everything seemed to be normal, she obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The whole mine was evacuated as a result of the alarm sounding, and everyone came and assembled back up in the surface, and it seemed like she had made a huge mistake, because everyone was just there, standing around being, what's happening? There's nothing wrong here. But as they were assembled there, just moments after, the ground beneath them started to shake, uh, and a large section of the mine collapsed from an earthquake. And because of this woman's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and her willingness to be obedient to the Holy Spirit prompting her, she was able to save so many lives. And in addition to that, about 400 miners surrendered their life to Jesus after recognizing what the Lord had supernaturally done to protect them from harm. Isn't that amazing? If we can be filled with the Spirit and hear the Holy Spirit and his promptings and what he's asking us to do, we can be obedient as well to what the Lord wants us to do. Last week, we saw a little bit about the Holy Spirit empowering people in the Old Testament for specific reasons and specific purposes. And we saw how Moses' prophetic desire was that all of God's people, regardless of who they were, that all of God's people would be filled with the Spirit, that they would taste and see and understand and experience this empowerment of the Spirit that he was able to experience. And Joel prophesied about it. Ezekiel spoke about it, about that coming day. And, and Jesus promised 
to his followers that he would send the Holy Spirit. Today we want to look a little bit more closely at the Spirit working in the New Testament times and, and in our lives as well because the Lord wants us to experience the Spirit in new and powerful ways. Just as Keisha just sang for us, we want a new outpouring of the Spirit in our lives. We want a new outpouring of the, of the Spirit in our families. We want a new outpouring of the Spirit in our church so the Spirit can fill us and overflow us and overwhelm us and inspire us and push us out of our comfort zones and lead us into places that we might not want to go, as Jesus told to Peter, that another will lead you where you don't want to go, and so that we might fulfill and accomplish the mission of God. And so we want to see what the, what the Holy Spirit is doing in the New Testament times. Now, Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And throughout the book of Luke and Acts, if you actually read it to, together, um, unfortunately, John is sort of sandwiched in between Luke and Acts. But if you want to, when you're reading through your Bible, if you read Luke and then Acts together, you get a little sense of Luke's sensitivity to the Spirit and how he sees the Holy Spirit working in different ways. He had, he had the privilege of traveling with the Apostle Paul, and he was able to see firsthand the moving of the Spirit in Paul's life and in the early church. And throughout Luke and Acts, we see so many things that, that he notes, that he observes. Even if you start from Luke chapter 1, you see John the Baptist filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. Mary filled and empowered with the Spirit to bring forth and bear Jesus. Uh, Elizabeth was filled, the mother of John the Baptist. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and she glorifies God and praises God. Zechariah does the same thing. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he speaks prophetically and he glorifies the Lord as he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, throughout, and especially throughout the book of Acts, you can see so many different times, and we'll look at a few of them this morning, but I encourage you to read it as well in the book of Acts so many different times where Luke notes the empowering work of the Spirit in our lives. So let me share a few, I think, just big points that I think of the Holy Spirit working us in the, in the New Testament time. The first is that the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus, okay? We saw in the, in the first part of this series how the Holy Spirit, he is God. He's part of the, the Trinity of God, but the Holy Spirit leads us and points us to Jesus. Hudson Taylor, who was the founder of the China Inland Mission, now known as OMF, he went through many hard and difficult experiences as he went to China to take the gospel there. At one point of trial and agony in his life, he said this, and this is found in uh, the book Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, which his son wrote. He said this, quote, when my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from dear McCarthy, which was a person who had written him a letter, was used to remove the scales from my eyes. And the spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I'd never known it before. Well, what the Holy Spirit did for Hudson Taylor at the time is he revealed Jesus to Taylor in a way that he had not known. Hudson Taylor knew who Jesus was. He was reading the word of God. He was reading the scriptures. He had experienced Christ. But at this moment of agony, this moment of, of trial and difficulty in his life, the Holy Spirit filled him and empowered him, and he was able to understand. There, there was a revelation that dropped in his heart and in his mind to be able to understand the truth of Jesus, the, our, our oneness with Jesus, the, the blessings of walking with Jesus and knowing Jesus Christ. The Spirit revealed the truth of Jesus. 
And so in a similar way, the Holy Spirit, he leads us to Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, from verse 25, we read here about how there was a, a prophet named Simeon who the Holy Spirit had instructed him and told him, you're not going to die until you meet the Messiah, until you meet Jesus. He didn't know his name, Jesus, but knew that he was waiting for the Messiah. And so he says here, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was empowering him. The Holy Spirit was filling him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, what happened? The Spirit led him. The Spirit led him into the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, who was there? Simeon was there. In a very literal sense here, the Holy Spirit led Simeon to Jesus. And we see this in a very literal sense, but in a, in a very spiritual sense for us, the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus, points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not trying to get glory for himself or not trying to point to himself. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. In, in John 14, it says, but when the Father sends the advocate or the Holy Spirit, my representative, right, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. See, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is not to point people to himself, not to bring glory to himself, not to draw people after himself, but no, he points people to Jesus. Here, this is who Jesus is. I want to remind you of what Jesus said. I want, you rem I want to remind you of what Jesus did. I want to remind you of what Jesus promised. I want to remind you of what Jesus is. That's why we, as a, as a church, as a community of believers, we are Christ-centered because it all revolves around Jesus. We are Christ-centered, but we are spirit-empowered, and they both work together. The, the spirit empowerment filling our lives points us to Jesus, points us to who he is. In the next chapter, John says again, he said, but I will send you, this is Jesus' words, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. He will come to you from the Father and will testify about who? About me. He will testify about me. He will speak about who I am, Jesus is saying. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, to draw people to Christ. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus. As we are filled and empowered by his Spirit, he draws us closer to Jesus. In the next chapter, Jesus says, he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. The, the Holy Spirit receives from Jesus and gives that to us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing people to Jesus. It's a beautiful work of the Spirit. It's, it's beautiful and wonderful to see the Holy Spirit working. It's the, it's the humility even within the, the Trinity of God that the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 don't, don't concentrate so much on me, but look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus can do for you. On the day of Pentecost, when, when the Spirit was poured out and Peter was empowered to speak the message in, in Acts chapter 2, which Dave read for us this morning, it says here in verse 38 and 39, Peter says, each of you must, Peter preached this amazing message, pointing people to Jesus, 
right? So Dave read this portion where all of these people were filled with the Spirit. They started speaking in other languages, and it was a big uproar. People were wondering, what in the world is going on? And so Peter gets up there, and he gives a message. And, and, and what Peter does, empowered by the Spirit, he doesn't focus so much on all the people speaking in, in, in other languages, all of the things that were happening, and all the confusion. What does Peter do? He points people to Jesus. He's empowered by the Spirit, and that's wonderful. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. But Peter takes that experience, and he points people to Jesus. He says here, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and to those who are far away, all who, will, who have been called by the Lord our God. He pointed people to Jesus. And do you know what happened? 3,000 people. Let me say that again. 3,000 people accepted Jesus as their Savior, turned their hearts, did what Peter said here. They repented of their sins. They turned to God. They were baptized in the name of Jesus, and they followed Jesus because the Holy Spirit empowered Peter. And instead of Peter saying, yeah, guys, come and follow me, come and follow me, or is it the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, come and follow me, the Holy Spirit? No, no, no. The Holy Spirit empowered Peter to point people to Jesus. And Peter pointed people to Jesus. And Peter said, go and follow Jesus. This is what you should do. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to renew us. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to come upon us because he will point us to Jesus. We will see the beauty, the wonder, the glory, the majesty, the, the, the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. As the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us, he points us to Jesus. We will see the beauty of Jesus in all of his fullness as the Holy Spirit fills us and points us to him. The other thing that the Spirit does is that the Spirit empowers us to lead others to Jesus. Not only does the Spirit fill us so that we can be led to Jesus, the Spirit empowers us so that we can lead others to Jesus. Now, Peter's an ex excellent example of this as someone filled with the Spirit pointing others to Christ. Now, Peter was an, was an unlearned fisherman. Do you know? And, and in that portion of Scripture that we read this morning, here is Peter he, he doesn't know a lot of things from the Old Testament. He doesn't know a lot of different things, but he stands up there empowered by the Spirit, and he starts quoting from the Old Testament. Now, I had hours and hours to prepare this message. Peter was just filled with the Spirit, and he just got up there and started speaking, and he's quoting all these passages from the Old Testament. Joel said this was going to happen, and this is exactly what's going on. How did he do that? Well, it's the Spirit that empowered Peter to point people to Jesus. He gave Peter the words to speak. And sometimes we might fear and we might think, oh, how am I supposed to share Jesus with someone else? How am I supposed to point others to Jesus? I don't have the right words to say. Well, let me tell you this. We read the portion here in Acts 2. If the Holy Spirit could give new languages to people on the day of Pentecost to speak, do you not think that the Holy Spirit could use the language you know to talk about Jesus? Is that too hard for him? 
If he can give people new languages to speak, and it says they were glorifying God with those new languages, could he not use the language you already know and give you words in the language you already know to speak about Jesus and to point people to Jesus? Isn't that an amazing thing that the Holy Spirit, he empowers our speech so that we can point others to Jesus. We see this so many times throughout the book of, uh, book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, we read about how Peter, here it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was, Peter was talking to some of the religious people of the day, trying to ex- explain a, a miraculous healing that had taken place. And it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures. See here, Peter again talking about Jesus. Peter, filled with the Spirit, started to speak, and what did he say? He pointed people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit prompted a person named Philip in the book of Acts as well. He saw this person who, he didn't know who he was, but he ended up being a very powerful, powerful man. He was a treasurer of, uh, from Ethiopia who had great responsibility under the queen there. And Peter was, uh, sorry, Philip was filled with the Spirit to explain Jesus to this man. Acts chapter 8, verses 29 and 30 says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside, beside that carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet. Isaiah, Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And this was the open door for for Philip to be able to explain to this man about Jesus. Prompted by the Spirit, moved by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit. We read another example in the book of Acts of a man named Cornelius. He was a devout man in, in prayer and fasting. He was seeking the Lord. God gave him a vision and said, go and call for a man named Peter, who we read about in Acts 2, and Peter will come and he'll tell you what you need to do. And so this was a very significant step in the early church because this was, this was when, uh, up until that point, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of Jesus, that he's our savior and redeemer, was only shared amongst the Jewish people. But now Peter is being prompted to go and share the gospel with Gentiles, right? This is a very significant step in, in the early church. Quite frankly, all of us are here today because Peter obeyed the prompting of the spirit there in Acts chapter 10. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. See, Peter responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. As soon as Peter got to Cornelius' house, he said, look, I shouldn't even be here. You guys are Gentiles. I'm a Jew. This shouldn't be happening. But you know, the Holy Spirit told me to do this. Right? It's like the Holy Spirit pushing us out of our comfort zone. The Holy Spirit pushed Peter out of his comfort zone. Peter was just comfortable talking to the Jews. He didn't want to go to a Gentile house. He didn't want to go to a a group of people that he didn't know or wasn't comfortable with. But the Holy Spirit pushed him to go to a place and situation that was not comfortable for him. But the Holy Spirit empowered him and filled him and gave him the words to speak. And we see the Spirit fall down upon these people as well. And thanks be to the Lord, the the gates were open for Gentiles to come into the church. We are here today because Peter was willing to step out of his comfort zone and obey the Holy Spirit and do what the Spirit was prompting him to do because he was empowered and filled with the Spirit. Paul and Barnabas, when they went on their missionary journeys, Acts chapter 13, it says, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, for the special work which I have called them. The Holy Spirit pushed 
Barnabas and Paul out. The Holy Spirit sent them forth and said, here, this is the work that I'm calling you to do. I am empowering you. I am speaking to you. I want you to go and do this. And the Holy Spirit sent them forth. In Acts chapter 4, we read about how the the early disciples, when they were facing tribulations and problems, when they were facing persecution from the religious people of the day, they prayed together. The meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Spirit. And then what happened as a result? Then they preached the Word of God with boldness. It's very important for understand that the Holy Spirit comes, and He takes control of our tongue. He takes control of our, of our spirit. He takes control of our lives, and he empowers us as he fills us. And that's what we have to ask the Lord. Fill me each and every day. Fill me anew and afresh. We need to rely on the spirit to help us. We need him to empower our speech. If he can give other people new languages to speak to glorify God, let me tell you, he can use English or whatever is your your mother tongue or whatever language that you might know. He could use the words you already know and empower them to use them for his purpose to draw people and lead people to know Jesus Christ. That's the mission of God that he's called us to. Don't worry about what you have to say. The Spirit will help you, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, verses 4 and verse 16, Paul, Paul talking about the message that he was giving, he said, and my message and my preaching were, were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on what? On the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul relied on on the power of the Holy, the Holy Spirit filling him and empowering him so that he could speak the message of God. And he says, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's word to explain spiritual truths. This is why we depend on the Holy Spirit, so that we can explain spiritual truths by the power of the Holy Spirit, Right? The Holy Spirit helps me to pronounce my THs as well. Every now and then, you know, I have to ask the Holy Spirit to to help me as well. Number three, the Spirit empowers us with gifts to bless others. The Spirit empowers the the, the body of Christ. And if you're here today and and maybe you don't know Jesus, or, or maybe some of this stuff is new to you, Maybe you're here today and you're wondering, who is the Holy Spirit? We would love to to talk to you a little bit more. We would love for you to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, know Jesus. And and I believe if you're here today, the Holy Spirit is drawing you and speaking to you and and pointing you towards Jesus so that you can know and love him. But one thing that the Holy Spirit does is that he empowers us with gifts. And he gives those gifts for the edification of the body of Christ. Now, in the Life Group notes this week, you'll find a few different uh, spiritual gift surveys, and you can pick one of those to try to do to help you to discern what your spiritual gifts are. Uh, You can download those Life Group notes from our website, or there's copies out in the lobby as well. Uh, But our Life Groups are going to be working through through that uh, this week as well, and trying to help and understand what are our spiritual gifts. The gifts that God gives us also need the affirmation of the community around us. 
The gifts that God gives us, the, the people around us should be able to see and, and affirm that and say, yes, this person is gifted in, in this way. Paul talks about it in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. In the same chapter that he talks about um, being united as a body, he said there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. So the spirit of God that fills us and empowers us gives us gifts to use. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should, should have. Do you know that you have a gift? Yes, you do. My question to you right now is what is your gift? And if you know what that gift is, what are you doing with it? Because the gift is not for you. I know, most times we get gifts, it's for us, right? This is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives us, not for us, but so that we can be a blessing to others. The gift is given so that we can help build up and edify the body of Christ. Here, here's a big list of, of gifts. You can see this in the notes as well, too. I'm not going to go through every single one of them. Maybe we'll do a series or a, another message just talking about the spiritual gifts. But here, here are some gifts that you can see that the Holy Spirit gives. You can read about them in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. There are different places in the Word of God that you can read about the gifts. But I want to encourage you to, to find out what your gift is and use your gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Right? So, so the gift, unlike normal gifts that we would get, we would get, oh, we got this gift. Oh, I really like this. I could use this for me. No. The gift that God gives us is so that we can be a blessing to others. So for not using that gift, hence, we are not a blessing to others because we are not using the gift that God has given to us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Can I challenge you this week? Find out what your spiritual gift is and then take that step of faith. Come out of that comfort zone and take that step of faith and say, I'm going to use that gift. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to fill me and overflow me and help me and empower me so that I could use that gift for the glory of God. I want to give you an example of, of, of somebody in our church, Barb Donor. She has a gift of hospitality. Some of you would have seen that last week. Because Barb organized with her team, and thanks for all of those who were part of her team that helped pack and deliver these little gifts at Valentine's Day. But Barb has a gift of hospitality. It was one of the gifts that, that, that was on that previous slide. And there's others here as part of her team who also have that gift of hospitality. Now, it's quite obvious that a gift of hospitality is not for yourself. I'm going to be hospitable to me, and only to me. Can you do that? No. The gift of hospitality is used to bless others. In a similar way, all these other gifts that we see that are operating within the body of Christ are used to bless others. Find your gift. Don't sit on it, but use it. Find your gift. Don't let it be dormant, but use it. Paul tells Timothy this. This is why I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. What is that spiritual gift? Has it become dormant? Are, 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 is the flame going out? Are there just a little bit of embers? Well, well fan, that, fan that gift so that it, it, it 
it brings forth this, this fire. This, it brings forth fruit. It, it comes out and it's being a blessing to others. Fan into flame that gift. Don't let it become dormant. Don't let it just sit there. God wants to use you to bless others. And, then he said, and, and sometimes we're fearful of that gift, right? Oh, Daniel, I can't use that gift. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. It's hard for me to step out of my comfort zone. It's hard for me to do this. Well, let me tell you, the Spirit more than likely is not going to ask you to do something you're really comfortable with doing. The Spirit is going to push you to do something that you're not comfortable with, because here's the difference. If it's something that you're comfortable with doing, then who gets the glory? Oh, you're very talented that way. You're very blessed that way. You could do that. But if it's something that we're not comfortable in doing, if it's something that's a little bit difficult for, our, for us to do, and we say, okay, I'll do it, then who gets the glory? Jesus. Why? The Holy Spirit, remember, he's pointing everything to, to Jesus. Let him get the glory, not us. Let God get the glory as he uses us. It says here, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Sometimes we're fearful. Sometimes we're timid. We don't want to operate in those gifts. But it says here he's given us a spirit of power because the spirit of God is powerful, of love because the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, says the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with his love, and of self-discipline because the Holy Spirit leads us into a life of discipline. Yield to the spirit. Let him use you. The last thing. The Spirit unites us together as one. How many know that we're living in some extremely divisive times today? And the church is not exempt. Unfortunately, the divisive times that we live in, the, the political divisiveness that we live in, it's extended into the church as well. Mask or no mask? Vaccine, no vaccine. This political issue, that political issue. Recently, we saw all that was happening uh, in, in Ottawa with the, with the trucker convoy. And some people are saying, good, that they're doing that. And others are saying, no, why are they doing that? We're living in such polarizing times. And, and we've come to a place that if you don't take the same viewpoint as me, then there's something morally or ethically wrong with you. And it makes the divide all the more distinct and all the more polarizing. This is not what the Lord intended for us. It's not what the Lord desires for his people. The reason that God pours out his spirit on us is to make us one. Here in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. This is so interesting. In a, in a day and age for Paul, where the Jews kept to themselves and they were separate from the Gentiles, Paul is removing the boundaries, removing the polarization, removing the differences, and he's saying, hold on, you Jews and Gentiles, you're one. In a day and age when there was a class for slaves and there was a class for free people and they were distinct and different and they didn't mingle themselves in fellowship and company, Paul says, oh, hold on, we're removing those distinctions, we're removing that polarization, and you are one. How? How did that happen? By the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the people of God to bring them together as one. If you notice all the points that I made up until now, it all has to do with a communal experience. 
The spirit leads us to Jesus is a community experience. Simeon was gathered or was sent by the Lord into the temple, by the spirit into the temple in a temple gathering to meet Jesus. The spirit empowers us to lead others to Jesus. It's a community experience. Now there are times that he does this supernaturally by himself, but most of the time he calls us to be his co-laborers. He uses us to bring others to Jesus because it's a communal experience. It's something the Spirit of God does in bringing us together as one. The gifts of the Spirit, which we just saw, it's not for us to hog and say, this is just for me. It's a communal experience. It's a sharing together. And that's why it's so important. The gifts that he gives us is not to help us individually, but to help us collectively as the body of Christ. The Spirit unites us together as one because we were meant to live together as one. Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. We are members of the body of Christ. That's what Paul continues to say here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We were never meant to do this Christian life on our own. And unfortunately, COVID in this season, we're getting close to the two-year mark now, COVID has caused us and has developed within us a sense of isolation, a sense of loneliness, uh, thankful for the seminar that Dr. Prasad is going to do for us, but, but COVID has had a lot of uh, effect on us. And there's a, there's a difference because there's, there's something that happens when we gather together. And I want to encourage everyone, those that are here in person and those that are watching online, thank God for technology, and I, I want to reiterate that we are 100% bought into the in-person experience, and we are 100% bought into the online experience. But I want to encourage everyone in these weeks and months ahead that hopefully as restrictions ease a little bit, and we hope that things will get a little bit better, as you are comfortable as you are able and as you, f as you feel, please consider your health and consider the implications of all of this, but I want to encourage you to come and gather together again. I want to encourage you to come together again on Sunday morning. I want to encourage you to come to the house of God. There is a distinct and tangible difference as we gather together in person and worship the Lord. And I want to encourage you to do that. Now, we're still going to do our online services. We're still going to be bought into that. We're still going to build out that platform and do the best that we can to reach people with the gospel. But I want to encourage us in our life groups to look at times and opportunities that we can gather together again. Hopefully when the weather gets a little bit better, it'll give us even more opportunities to be able to do that. But COVID has caused this to happen when we see clearly in God's word, the spirit baptizes us into one body. And there is a communal experience which is so critical and so vital and so important for the people of God to be able to do life together, to be able to support one another, to be able to help one another. Look at what happened, happened in the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayers. Sharing of meals, that sounds wonderful. Right? Do you remember that? Yeah, let's get back to that, hopefully, soon. I want to I share three things here. Communal experiences that in our Western culture we view very individualistic, even in the church, and they're important to see individually, but I want to emphasize even more this morning the, the importance of them communally and the need for them communally, right? Now, thanks for Zoom and all those other platforms that help us to do this to a degree, but there's something that happens when we gather together. And I think in all three, there is a place for this to be done personally 
and it's needed to be done personally, but there's really an emphasis in these, these things being done communally. And that's worship, that's the study of scriptures, and that's prayer. They fellowship together, they worshiped together, they experience God's presence together. As we gather together, there is an experience that we have that we worship together. In the summertime, we did outdoor services, and I told our, our team, and I told the elders, and I told all the volunteers, this is my heart behind doing outdoor services last summer, was that throughout the, the pandemic, we've had preaching online, we've had men's meetings, women's meetings, life groups, uh, kids online, all of these youth, young adults, all these things online. But the one thing that we lost and the one thing that we didn't have was the opportunity to sing and hear others sing together and worship together. And that's why we did those outdoor services to offer an opportunity for people to come together and worship the Lord. There's an experience of doing this communally. That is so critical and that is so neat. And the Spirit baptizes us into one body so that we can experience this together. The second thing is that is, is studying the scriptures together. This is so important. We can, I, I encourage everyone to do your personal daily Bible reading. Read the scriptures. It's really important for us in a, in a very individual way. It's important for us to be able to study the scriptures and everything. But there is a way that God wants us to be able to study the scriptures together, whether that's on Sunday morning together, but especially in life groups throughout the week. And if you're not part of a life group, I'd love for you to connect with the life group. Speak to me or, or Les Miata, our life group coordinator, and we'd love to get you plugged in. If you're watching online, go online to our website, fill out a form there. We would love to connect with you about life groups, but it's being able to study the scriptures together in a communal way. Do you know in the early church, when we're reading here in Acts chapter 2, they didn't have their own Bible? They couldn't pull out their, their phone and say, okay, let me look up this version uh, uh, of the Bible and read it. No, they couldn't go to their bookshelf and, you know, pull off a Bible off the bookshelf. No, they didn't have any of those things. They studied the scriptures together in a communal way. And it helps us because it helps us from going the wrong way, coming up with our own revelations of things and maybe falling away from the way that we should go. But studying the scriptures together is so important. We weren't meant to be solo Christians. We were meant to worship together, to study together, to be able to receive sound biblical teaching together. And the last thing is prayer. They prayed together. And again, I want to encourage you because I think it's vitally important that every one of us have an individual prayer life with the Lord and we build that up and we grow. But one way in which we can grow in our personal prayer life is by praying together with others. As we pray together with others, we can grow in our prayer life, grow in our intimacy with the Lord. We can learn how to pray, how to communicate with God, how to give our burdens to the Lord, how to share our requests to the Lord. We learn those things as we pray communally. And then we can pray on our own as well. I want to encourage you on Tuesday nights, we have a, a Zoom prayer meeting where you can gather together with a, with, with a number of different people as well and we can pray together. This Tuesday, we're going to be, we're going to be pr uh, praying together about praying in the Spirit for others. There, there is a communal aspect of prayer that is really a, an untapped power of God. There's a communal aspect of prayer that God wants all of us to be involved in. Yes, it's important to pray personally. Yes, it's important to read the word of God personally. Yes, it's important to worship the Lord personally. 
But through the scriptures, we can really see as the Spirit baptizes us into one body that there is a communal experience of worshiping together, praying together, reading and studying the scriptures together that is vitally important for our spiritual lives because we were not meant to do this alone. We weren't meant to head this up alone. We are supported by the family of God. We are supported by the community of faith. We are supported by one another as we press forward. The disciples learned how to pray together. The Spirit of God baptized them into one body, and it helps to remove all of these divisions. How many know that when you pray with somebody, if you're upset at them, it's really difficult to pray with them. If you're upset with them, it's really difficult to worship together. If you're upset with them, it's really difficult to study the Bible together. And so these are ways in, and avenues in which God helps us to bring us together as one. If the church can be united in a very divisive world, how much glory will that bring to the Lord? If the church can be that city on a hill that shines forth as a united family of God, even if we have differing views, even if we, we, we view things in a different way, let's put those aside. And if we can be united as one and say Jesus is our Lord, we are baptized into the same body by the Holy Spirit, and we seek to, lead, to be led to Jesus, to lead others to Jesus, to use our gifts for the glory of God and the purpose of God to bless the body of Christ and bring people to know Jesus Christ, if we are able to do that, how amazing would that be to bring glory to God and that our church and our community can be that city set on a hill, the salt of the world, the light of the earth, to say that Jesus is love and he draws people to himself, even if you disagree with me. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, it would. But that's what the Spirit does. So we need to say, Spirit, fill me. Spirit, change me. I'll close with this story and worship team, you can come. Lemuel Haynes, that's him. 1785, he became the first African-American ordained by any religious body in America. He was a pastor for 40 years. In the church that he was ordained, he couldn't become a pastor in that, in that same church because of the pressure of the churches around him, because of the racial prejudice of him being an African-American. And so he couldn't be a, a pastor in that place. But on March 28, 1788, he accepted a call to be a pastor in a, in the, in a church in Rutland, Vermont. It was an all-white congregation. Can you imagine that? In the 1700s, an African-American man standing in front of an all-white congregation to be their pastor. How did they accept him? He wasn't accepted in this other place. There's too much racial prejudice. I really believe he was accepted because the Spirit had baptized them into one body. I think there was something unique and special happening in that church, that the Spirit of God was uniting them together as one so that an all-white congregation can accept an African-American man to be their pastor. For one year, what do you think? Two years? Five? Ten? He was there for 30 years as their pastor. The church grew from 42 people to about 350. What made this possible? How could that happen? In a time when there was so much racism, in a time when there was so much division, in a time when, when there was so much prejudice, 
And people didn't look at other people, especially of a different color, that they are made in the image, image of God and have an identity that has value and worth. How could it happen? The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of God. Filling, overflowing, changing hearts, changing lives, baptizing people into one body. Let him do that in our lives as well. Let him transform us. Let him change us. Let him renew us. Let him speak to us. Let him lead us to Jesus. Let him empower us to lead others to Jesus. And let him give us gifts so that we can use them for the glory of God. Let's sing to the Lord.